Father, we are grateful that you told uh, the psalmist, you said, I, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But do not be as the horse or the mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in check. In other words, I will, I, I'll, I, I will lead you through life, but when I lead you, and when I show you the path, don't resist me. Don't look at another trail that looks more inviting. Father, we thank you for guidance. We thank you for your oversight of our lives. There, there is a path of life. There is a trail of life, and we are at different points on it. We've got young men here that are just getting started on the trail of life. Others of us are... Uh, approaching the, the, the midpoint. Um, others are further down. The kids are grown and married and gone and empty nest and all that. And that's a whole different part of the trail. And then we get even further down the trail. What did Moses say? As for the days of our lives, they contain 70 or due to strength, 80 years. Some of us, Lord, we are in that category of life, and it's just hard to believe that we're there. It all went by so quickly. But then he goes on and says, but teach us to number our days so that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Wherever we are on the trail of life, what we all have in common is we need your wisdom. And the amazing thing is you promised to give it to us. You promised to give us guidance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Uh, we're, we're all coming from different situations, different circumstances, different events that have occurred this week and this month in our lives. Uh, some of those are extremely positive. Some of those are heartbreaking. But what we ask, Lord, whether, our, whether we are doing well or whether we are in great pain and in great trouble, we ask that you would give us a heart of wisdom to know that the best course is always your course even when we don't understand it. We don't want to fight you. We have done that before, and it never works well. Um, who can resist your will? And sometimes we try, as little children, try to resist the will of their father or mother, who knows, who knows best. But Lord, as we are at the place in life where we are, help us to learn the lessons. Help us to learn to submit to your authority. Help us to learn to accept where we are in our lives that right now we cannot change. However, believing that you're the God could change, you're the God who can change things in a moment. Sometimes you leave us in hard places because there are lessons yet to be learned. Well, help us to get under your authority, help us to submit. Help us to have teachable hearts to learn the lessons. Uh, we probably won't always be in that difficult spot. But while we are there, we want to redeem the time. We want to learn what needs to be learned. Because we can't graduate to the next course until we pass this one. Give us teachable hearts. Help us to grow. Help us to mature. Help us to become not harder as we get older, but help us to become more 
malleable, more flexible, more gracious, more merciful as we get older. That's what we have received from you. Tonight, Lord, as we open your Bible, which we do when we get together on these Wednesday nights, you've got something for every man. You know his heart. You know the issues. You know the fears. You know the concerns. You know the pressures. You know the tightness of the position that some guys find themselves in. One false step and they go over the cliff. We, we've got guys in here, I imagine, that feel like they're right on, they're a half step away from disaster. But you are abundantly available for help in tight, place, in tight places. So lead us, guide us, instruct us, give us what we need. And we will say right now, we don't even know what we need. But we know we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one word for our study this fall is uh, the word manna. Uh, manna covers a 40-year transition period in the history of Israel. Just a quick review. A 40-year transition period in the history of Israel that is covered uh, in Exodus. Uh, specifically, uh, the transition is as they're coming out of Egypt after 400 years of um, slavery, they're transitioning into the promised land, which had been promised to Abraham, who was the first Jew, the first Israelite. Uh, they should have gone directly into the land a matter of uh, weeks, maybe a month or two, to get two million people up there. But because of the unbelief of 10 of the 12 leaders that occurred in Numbers chapter 13, God says that they are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And every adult over the age of 20 will die in that wilderness during that 40 years. Uh, in their rebellion against God, they did a reconnaissance mission, the 10 spies who wouldn't trust God. And there were two spies who did trust God, Joshua and Caleb. They saw giants up in the land where they were going. 10 of the men said, we can't take the giants, they'll destroy us. They forgot the recent works of God. The recent works of God on their behalf, he sent 10 plagues upon Pharaoh, which got them out of Egypt. He opened up the Red Sea. They forgot the providential care. They, they forgot the providential power of God. Sometimes we do this. And so they're in the wilderness. They hear about the giants. They all go into a panic. God's brought us out here to kill our children. God says, all right, here's what's going to happen. Those of you over 20 who think I'm going to kill your kids, what I'm going to do is you're going to die out here over the next 40 years, but your kids, 20 and under, I'm going to take them into the land of promise. And the blessing that should have been yours is going to go on them. Uh, during that 40-year period, uh, they are deep in the wilderness and if you've been here, this is becoming old hat now, but we're setting the stage. Uh, they are in the wilderness, away from civilization, away from the normal supply lines, and two million men, women, and children have got to be fed every day. How do you feed two million 
men, women, and kids every day when all supply lines are cut off. And our point has been that there are times in the Christian life where we find ourselves in a wilderness where the normal supply lines of life are cut off. It can happen in any area of life. It can happen with your health. There are times when, and there, this happens in life. A man has been healthy all of his life, and then suddenly something happens. And health is taken away. That normal supply of health, health that enables you to function, that enables you to work, that enables you to provide, is suddenly taken away. Uh, you're in a spot you've never been in before. We have said that the way that God provisioned them when all supply lines were cut off, if you look at Exodus 16, God gave them manna. The way he fed them was that every morning he supernaturally sent manna. There would be a dew-like substance on the ground. It would sort of evaporate, and you would have manna. It was their food source. It could be baked, boiled. It could be ground. It had the taste of honey. It was, there's coriander seeds to get the fiber going, you know. It's important out there. Um, it was supernatural. If you took too much, it would go bad. If you took too little, God would proportion it supernaturally to the right amount. Everybody would take an omer, which was about six pints. Not about, it was six pints for everybody in your tent. So if you took too much and you measured it, it was actually six pints. If you took too little, guess what? When you measured, it was six pints. This was supernatural. If you tried to keep it overnight, it'd go bad because God wanted them trusting as they went to bed for his provision the next day. And for 40 years, he never missed. On the sixth day, they would get twice of what they would normally take because there would be no manna on the seventh. And for 40 years, oh, and on the sixth day when you took double, it didn't go bad because God was in this. So our word for this study has been manna. Our verse has been John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. He's making a statement in the book of John. Uh, In the early part of John 6, he feeds the 5,000, which with the men, women, and kids all factored in were about 20,000. So he miraculously fed them, just as there was a miraculous feeding for 40 years in the Old Testament. Um, Throughout the book of John, it's very, very clear that Jesus is God. It's clear on every page of the book of John. Um, Jesus uh, came and ministered. He was in... He was born in Bethlehem, but raised in the village of Nazareth. Uh, Worked under uh, Joseph, who was not his physical father, because Jesus didn't have a physical father. He was born of a virgin. But Joseph functioned as his father, and Joseph was a carpenter, and he was raised in the carpenter uh, shop and learned to trade and learned to craft. Jesus worked in the trades. Uh, He cut his own trees Um, He had forearms on him. He did manual labor. Uh, Some of the uh, church historians tell us that there were plows that Jesus made that were still in use 100 years after his resurrection. 
And when he started his public ministry, he left, uh, he left Nazareth, uh, actually moved into the Ritz-Carlton in Jerusalem, <laughs> and um, had quite an entourage, uh, had a plush, uh, actually several chariots, uh, great, great steeds would pull him through uh, Israel. Uh, he had uh, quite a uh, support team with him that would go, and an advanced team. Um, he had the most exotic tents with the most exotic carpets with the most exotic food. Actually, none of that is true. <laughs> I mean, why not? Gosh. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The foxes have places to rest, but he didn't. Why are you bringing all this up, Steve? Well, because. Let me read something to you from John Bloom. Uh, got a book out called Not by Sight. It's good stuff, good essays. He has a chapter called Can You Bear Uncertainty? Uncertainty is a difficult thing to bear. We want to know where the provision is going to come from or if we're going to die of this disease or how this child is going to turn out or if our job will still be there next month. But Jesus made it clear that his disciples must be able to bear uncertainty if they are going to follow him. How well can you bear uncertainty? Can you bear not knowing how God is going to provide for your most urgent needs and still trust that he will? Jesus made it clear that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. And then Bloom writes this, There are simply going to be times when obedience or faithfulness to his call means we aren't sure where the provision for our needs will come from. Unforeseen circumstances will occur. Plans will fall through. The salary might not allow for much retirement savings. Financial support might need to be raised. A thief may break in and steal. Economies may collapse. Radical generosity may be required to meet another person's desperate need. A debilitating illness may befall. When these things happen, we are often tempted to fear because our earthly security is being removed. But we should not be surprised because John 13, 16 says, a servant is not greater than his master. If these things happen to Jesus, they will also happen to us. Jesus does not want us to be governed by fear at such times. He wants us governed by faith. The uncertainty we are faced with, now catch this, the, cert, the uncertainty we are faced with is only apparent uncertainty. I love that. There's wisdom. <laughs> the uncertainty we are faced with is only apparent uncertainty. Our future and our provision and our ultimate triumph 
are certain to God. He has all the foreknowledge, power, and resources necessary to ensure these, and he has the desire to turn everything for good for those who love him are called by him, Romans 8, 28. Apparently, uncertain seasons. All right, let's get this. Apparently, you get, any of you guys take Ritalin? You got a drip thing for Ritalin? Just give yourself a shot or two of Ritalin so you can really get this, all right? Apparently, uncertain seasons are often some of the most powerful moments we experience with God in this age. And, and the thing is, none of us want uncertain seasons, do we? I don't want an uncertain season in any area of my life, and neither do you. But isn't it true what Bloom writes? Apparently, uncertain seasons are often some of the most powerful moments we experience with God in this age on this earth. More than seasons of security and prosperity, they demonstrate that God exists and rewards those who seek Him. Why? Because When all supply lines are cut off and we get insecure and we can't see where our provision is going to come from, He comes through because He is the bread of life. All of our lives, our our physical life, our health, our jobs, our income, our relationships, our career path, our emotional states in life. He is the Lord of all of life, and He is the provider and inventor and creator of all of life, and He is the sustainer of all of life. And at the right moment, when life is uncertain and we're under great pressure because we're coming right to the precipice, He comes through with manna, and He is the manna because He is the bread of life. Sometimes the provisions of manna are dramatic. I've seen them in my life, and you have seen them. But something that can't be forgotten is that the manna that they were provided was there every day. There are times, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, God takes his men, as God brings a man to himself, and then He puts us on the path of following Christ. He wants to take us from immaturity to maturity. So what he will do, you will have seasons that we call seasons of uncertainty. But what they are, he'll take you into the wilderness. And when you're in some kind of wilderness, the normal supply lines are cut off. And it's very tenuous and it's very frightening. And we have uh, our our, our well-being. We're always just kind of, we're never completely relaxed. We're always just a little bit on edge because, you know, because it's uncertain. And stuff that's always been there isn't there. And we don't like it. But see, it's in those times in the wilderness where we see the power of God and we see that He is the living God. This is not just something that somebody came up with to help people feel better about life. This is reality. George Mueller. Um, Here's his autobiography. 
George Mueller lived in the 1800s. Um, his biography, autobiography is called A Million and a Half Answers to Prayer. Uh, George Mueller was a pastor at a certain point. He was from Germany, moved to England. At a certain point, uh, felt that God was leading him to start an orphanage. There was such a tremendous need in the, 18, in the, in the 1800s because so many parents had died uh, through disease that there were orphans everywhere in England. Uh, it had been, that had been happening uh, for a couple hundred years. And uh, a number of Christian people would, would take these orphans in. They would start orphanages. George Mueller decided he would start an orphanage in Bristol, England. But Mueller decided up front that what he was going to do, he was starting this ministry to orphans, not just to take care of orphans, but he was starting this ministry to orphans to prove that God was the living God. And he decided up front that what he was going to do was sustain financially this ministry in Bristol to orphans, and he would not raise funds. He would not ask people to give to the ministry. He didn't even announce he was going to start a ministry to orphans. And he kept meticulous notes, and he kept a meticulous... This is an autobiography. You know what this is? This is his journal for 60 years. And you can turn on any page, and um, you'll get dates... And you'll get, here's uh, um, March 7th, uh, 1834. Today we have only one shilling left. Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> but well, you can see my copy, and this is my, the second copy that is pretty, this is the one that's in good shape. I have another one that's fallen apart. Why would I read this guy's journal? Because God called Mueller... I think is an example of how to walk in times of uncertainty. Um, he doesn't call everyone to walk like that their whole lives, but he called Mueller. Um, this is called A Million and a Half Answers to Prayer. Uh, let me just read two sentences. The Lord provided all that he needed from the start of his work until he died in 1898 without asking anyone for help but God alone. He humbly claimed that God had answered 50,000 requests, 30,000 of those in the same hour or day in which they were asked. Why? Because God kept him in such uncertainty. The orphanage kept growing. You can go to England today and you can go to Bristol and those buildings for the orphanage are still up. And he's got stories in here of, build, of building those buildings and how it came about. And he started with a handful of kids and wound up with 2,000 kids a day who had to be fed. And you, you just keep going through this and you keep going through. Uh, here's July 28, 1881. Uh, the income has been for some time past only about a third the part of the expenses. Consequently, all we have for the support of the orphans is nearly gone. Okay, but if you keep reading... Um, oh, here we go. The foregoing was written at 7 a.m., July 28, 1881. In the course of the day, there came in altogether for the various needs uh, 69 pounds, 11 shillings. I am looking for further answers to prayer. So he got through that day. <coughs> Somehow he got through for 60 years, 60 years of uncertainty. Um, why did he write this? 
Why did he start the ministry? He wanted to prove that God is still the living God. Okay. Where's my other quote? It's in here. 111. All right. Listen to what uh, Mueller said. Okay, now hold on. Okay. I just need to read what I've written. That's why I had trouble getting out of high school. <laughs> it was on there, I just didn't read it. Um, so how does a guy like that live like that for so long? You talk about pressure. You talk about weight. We have seasons in the wilderness. For some reason, God called him pretty much to 60 years of it. But he's one of these guys who's an example of faith. God doesn't call everybody, but I think Mueller had a gift of faith that God gave him to encourage us. When we are in our seasons of uncertainty, you can look at this guy and God never failed him. Okay. Here's a glimpse out of his life. He says this. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. All right, now you stop and think about the context of this guy's life. All the uncertainty he dealt with. And then he began to realize, because see, when there's, when there's uncertainty on every hand and it's prolonged, uh, and when you've experienced this, do you, have, do you ever struggle with uh, happiness? Do you ever struggle with uh, joy? Do you ever struggle with uh, being impatient with your wife? Honey, what do you want for dinner? What do you mean, what do I want for dinner? I, I, I heard that one of you guys have a problem with this. That's why I'm bringing this up. When we are in times of uncertainty, it comes out in our spirit, it comes out in our tone of voice. We're irritable, we're on edge, we're under pressure. Okay, is that not true? It was true of him, so what does he say? I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. This guy's not weird, he's real. Now listen to what he says. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state. Watch this. How my inner man might be nourished. This is fascinating. I saw the most important thing I had to do was give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it. So that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, while meditating, my heart might be brought into experiential communion with the Lord. In other words, he's talking first thing. Because he wakes up. You ever wake up, you ever wake up first thing and you got pressure on your chest? You ever wake up first thing and you got some depression? As soon as you wake up. Why? It's because of what's going on in your life. It's because of the weight. It's because of the burden. It's because you're having, watch this, to bear uncertainty. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the, from the beginning, early in the morning. Oh, by the way, when did they pick up the manna in Exodus 16? In the morning. In the morning. 
I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning, watch this, for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. And yet now, since God has taught me this point, it is as plain to me as anything that the first thing a child of God has to do morning by morning is to obtain food for his inner man. That is brilliant. It's brilliant. It fits. Does it not fit the scripture? You need food for the physical man, and you need food for the inner man, especially in times where you're bearing uncertainty. We need it all the time. But especially when you're on edge, when there's pressure, when, you are, uh, when, you're, on, when you're on the edge of disaster. I, I had lunch with a guy several years ago. And we had a great time together. We got acquainted, and he was sharing with me some of what he was dealing with in his, in his business. And I'll never forget, we were seated at a table that was circular. He took a salt shaker that was in the middle of the table, and he moved it right over to the edge of the table. And he put that salt shaker right on the edge. In fact, about a third of the base was hanging off the side. And I'll never forget this. He said, you know, Steve, this is where God has had me in my business the last several years. Right on the edge. Every day. And then he'll deliver me and do something incredible. And he moved the salt shaker back towards the center. And then what happens, we start in again. Now, that was his testimony. A lot of us have that testimony, right? It's called walking by faith. That's called bearing uncertainty. So what do you have to do? You have to obtain food for the inner man. As the outward man, listen to this, as the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time, except we take food, and as this is one of the first things we do in the morning, so it should be with the inner man. Now what the food is for the inner man, not prayer, but the word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the Word of God, so that it only passes through our minds, just as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. I want to talk tonight about bearing uncertainty by daily digesting the manna of the Word of God. Let me say that again. Bearing uncertainty by daily digesting the manna of the Word of God. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Okay? He was the bread to the feeding of the 5,000. He was the bread to the folks in Exodus 16 for 40 years. He was the manna. Okay? Um, let's, let's look at some verses. Matthew 4 4. Let's give our Bibles a workout here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus is being tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. 
Verse 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Did you catch that? You got to have bread, but man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, let's say this. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is in this book. Go over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And note, if you would, verses 46 and 47. I'll pick up it up in 45 just to get some context. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. Watch this in 47. It is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. You tie that with Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is from Genesis 1 to Revelation 2. It is not an idle word for you. It is your life. Because, you see, just as you need physical food for your physical life, you need spiritual food to nourish the inner man. When we come to know Christ, we are born again. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Old things pass away. All things become new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The moment we are regenerated by the Spirit of God and trust in Christ alone for our salvation and forgiveness of sins, at that moment, we are given eternal life. Not at the end of your life do you get eternal life. You possess eternal life when you are born again. And so now, see, prior to that, you just have physical, physical life, but you're spiritually dead. Now that you've been born again, you have physical life, but you're now enjoying spiritual life. Therefore, the inner man must be fed as the physical man must be fed. Are you following? This is what Mueller was saying. I realized first thing, I've got to watch over my inner man. I've got to get myself recalibrated. I've got to nourish my inner man. I've got to nourish my soul. Why? Because I can't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the word of God contains my vitamins, my minerals, my nutrients, my antioxidants, AEC, chromium, potassium, selenium, melatonin, soy lecithin granules, ginkgo biloba, whatever it is you need, whatever it is you need, it's in here for spiritual growth, for spiritual life, for spiritual nourishment. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Uh, literally, all Scripture is God-breathed. Not that He breathes it in, He breathes it out. So all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God 
may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The idea that the man of God may be adequate, the idea is that he might be completely furnished. How is it that I get completely furnished for what I need in life from God the Father and His Son? The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to my life, and as I interact with the Word of God, everything I need for my growth and my maturity in the Christian life is in the Word of God because it is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it is able to divide between joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the word of God. And it is the word of Christ. Christ is the living word. This book is his written word. And when I read this book, I am literally taking my nutrients from Christ because if I were a, well, wouldn't it be great if I could meet Jesus and sit down with Jesus? Yeah. Now, I'm going to kind of step on some toes here. There are a lot of books right now, and I, I, there just are a lot of books out about someone dying near death, going to heaven, talking with Jesus. You come back, you write a book, it sells a lot of books. Um, you stay at the uh, Ritz-Carlton in Jerusalem when you go. I don't know if there is a Ritz-Carlton. Uh, anyway, if, you wanna, if your publishing career is waning, have that kind of experience. It'll pick it up quick. And you say, man, you're, you're being a little sarcastic. Actually, I am. And I say that for this reason. We know in 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul was taken to heaven. We know that he was taken to heaven. And Paul says, I was shown things. Now, I want you to get this. And this is where we've got to think biblically. And see, if, if, if this is somewhat offensive to you, I ask you to consider what I'm saying in light of the word of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, I was taken up to the third heaven. I was shown things, watch this, which a man is not permitted to speak. Okay, I know he went. And also, here's what else when you read it through, that when he came back to earth, he says, in order to keep me from exalting myself. Because you see, if you died and went to heaven and came back, how would you feel about yourself? Well, you'd be feeling pretty good because none of the guys in your small group had been to heaven. <laughs> and when you go to the family reunion, nobody in your family had been to heaven. And you go to the high school reunion, most of those guys sure as heck haven't been to heaven, nor are they going to heaven. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, you hope they do. But I, 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 So if you died and went to heaven and talked to Jesus and you come back, how would you be feeling about yourself? Can I offer this? You'd be feeling pretty proud because you're a human being. And Paul goes on and says, in order to keep me from exalting myself, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And three times I asked the Lord to remove it from me. 
and he did not remove it. For he said to me, my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I glorify in my weakness. That's contrary to what's going on in evangelical Christianity. He didn't come back and write a book. He didn't get on the book tour. He didn't uh, Christian TV, uh, big royalties. He was given a thorn in the flesh. The story is told that when Martin Luther stood up against the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church and pounded those 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg, they, they came after him. And uh, his life was threatened. His friends kidnapped him to save his life. He didn't know who it was, but they kidnapped him, took him to Wartburg Castle, and he was there for months. It was there he completed the translation of the uh, New Testament into the German language for the people. Uh, God did some remarkable things, but, this, but it, it is said that while he was there one night, he had a vision of Christ in his room. It appeared to be Christ. And where he had been writing, he had an inkwell. He took the inkwell and he threw it at the vision of Christ. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. The Lord Jesus has already been revealed to me in his word. Now see, once again, a lot of guys, if they're in the castle writing and Jesus shows up, what are they doing? They're not throwing an inkwell. They're starting to write. <laughs> and they're going to publish. But see, here's what, here's, what, here's what Luther knew. He knew... <laughs> He knew he didn't need the Lord to appear to him to give him truth. He already had the bread of life. He already had a completed revelation of Christ. I hear well-meaning folks all the time say, well, what I need, I just need a word from the Lord. Oh, I just need a word from the Lord. In certain circles you hear, oh, man, I just need a word from the Lord. Have you, have you got a Bible? See, a lot of times what they mean is they, they want someone to come along and say, I have a word from the Lord for you. Well, and, okay. And in certain circles, that's just the accepted norm. Well, that's a word from the Lord. But you see, you don't know that's a word from the Lord unless you test it according to the word of God. I'll tell you, there's a lot of emotion and there is a lot of weakness in evangelical Christianity, you better test the spirits to see if something is of God. The Christians, the believers at Berea were more noble than the Christians at Thessalonica because they looked into the scriptures to see if these things were so. In the last days, there is going to be deception and counterfeit miracles that are demonic, and there are going to be believers who are misled because they just accept anything that appears to be supernatural. But you're supposed to test the spirits. Uh, Moses could throw down his rod and certain things would happen. The, the, the magicians of Pharaoh could, uh, could, could reduplicate certain works. Jonas and Jambres were counterfeit magicians. At a certain point, he threw his rod down. It becomes a snake. They have their snakes. His snake, though, eats their snake. 
Because the word of God triumphs. What I'm saying is the word of God is supreme. The word of God is our daily manna. We're not over this book. We are under this book. Jesus is the bread of life, and this is his book. And as I go through life and I have times where I'm having to bear uncertainty and I don't know exactly why I'm here and I don't know why I'm in this situation and I don't understand all that the Lord is doing, I need a word from the Lord. Then open your Bible. And may I say to you, open it every morning. Uh, When they were in the wilderness, it was there, it was provided for them, but they had to go out in the morning and gather it. I believe Christian men, we are to do the same thing. We are to gather the word of God into our hearts. And it it, it appears to be a wise thing to do it in the morning as you start your day. Um, You have to feed your soul, guys. There is an eating disorder called anorexia nervosa. It's very common among young women. It's afflicted perhaps some young women that you know in your family. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a horrific thing because a young woman is attractive and is a nice figure and, I mean, to you, just looks fine. But she looks in the mirror and sees herself as grotesquely uh, overweight, all kinds of body image issues, and I guess why should we be shocked by that with all the pressure on young women in our culture today? Um, it's horrible what these young girls have to face. The pressure. The first time, I had never heard of anorexia nervosa in my life until Karen Carpenter died. And if you guys, most of you guys my age, that's the first time you ever heard of anorexia nervosa. And some of you guys who are young and you've never heard of Karen Carpenter. <laughs> Google Karen Carpenter. With her brother, they were quite a team. Beautiful young girl, extremely gifted. Uh, Anorexia, the first time I ever heard of it. What's anorexia? Uh, She starved herself to death. She thought she was grotesquely overweight. Nobody else thought it, but she did. And she literally, see, anorexia, a young woman has an aversion to food. And they literally do not eat and they starve themselves to death. It is possible for Christian men to be anorexic. Not physically, but spiritually. When I did my dissertation at Dallas Seminary on men, I surveyed a thousand men across the country. I asked them all kinds of questions about their relationship with Christ, what they believed about the Word of God, about their work, about their families, about their ethics. I asked all kinds of questions. One of the questions I asked was, how often do you spend personal time in the Word of God on a weekly basis? And as I recall, 49% of them said, I interact with the Word of God on a personal basis one time a week or less. It was half of them. These are Christian guys. These are guys who love Christ. Um, George Gallup, the Gallup poll, years ago did a poll of evangelical Christians, and one of the things he said, he, he was a, a Christian man himself, knew the Lord. He said, uh, I was shocked at the amount of um, neglect of the Word of God among the evangelical Christians. And then he said this. He said they revere the Bible, but they don't read the Bible. Isn't that something? 
See, here's what can happen with Christian men, is that do we believe it's the Word of God? Do we believe it's the Word of Christ? Absolutely. I mean, you die for this book. You see? You revere it. Do you read it? And then we wonder why we're so defeated in our lives. If you're not interacting, if you're not feeding off the Word of God, you are slowly starving yourself because you are refusing to gather the manna that is provided for you and you are not feeding your soul. So no wonder, so no wonder you would have difficulty bearing uncertainty because you are malnourished in your soul and in your spirit. And when a man is malnourished, the first uh, Gulf War, we're going in there under Schwarzkopf, and man, we're just going in there 90 miles an hour on the way to Baghdad, and we start seeing the news clips come out of these uh, soldiers for Suzam Hussein coming out of the foxholes. You remember these guys? They were emaciated. They were malnourished. They're, they're bowing to American soldiers. These guys were just giving up right and left. And it turned out all their supply lines had been cut off for weeks. These guys were starving. And when a man starves, a man won't fight. A man physically has nothing to defend. He, he, can't, he can't give a defense because he's physically malnourished. That's true spiritually. There's another eating disorder called bulimia. Bulimia is, is different because it's called the binge and purge syndrome. Uh, uh, and oftentimes it's, 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 it's women, and sometimes guys, but primarily women, as I understand it. They will eat, but then before they can digest it, they will go find a restroom, and they will put their finger down their throat, and they will vomit up the food, therefore robbing their body of the nutrients. And their physical body is not nourished, and that's just as dangerous as anorexia, because in both cases, there's no food which can nourish the body, and keep the body going. It's a slow way of suicide. Now, there is such a thing as Christian men who are bulimics. When a man is a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. As James says, you hear truth, but you don't apply it to your life. As Howard Hendricks used to say, see, we think we, 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 we think of ignorance, biblical ignorance, and we think the opposite of biblical ignorance is biblical knowledge. But we don't read the scriptures just to become knowledgeable. We read the scriptures to go from ignorance to knowledge, but knowledge that causes us to go to obedience. We want to go from ignorance to obedience. We just don't want knowledge. We want obedience. Does this make sense? Obedience is the path of life. We teach our little kids to obey. Why? If a little child does not learn to obey, and if a little child does not get some discipline that is structured, that comes in a loving environment, that is not abusive, that is not out of anger, Proverbs has all these verses about disciplining children and how you discipline children. Because what happens to children is children have to learn that when they are disobedient, that results in pain. And it's best that they learn it early. It's best that they learn it consistently. Because if they don't, they're going to have a lifetime of pain. 
Are they not? And we've got to learn this with the Lord. We're real big on education in this country, or so we say. Samuel Johnson said years ago, he said, the supreme end of education is expert discernment in all things. The power to tell the good from the bad, the genuine from the counterfeit, and to prefer the good and the genuine to the bad and the counterfeit. You only get that from the Word of God. And may I say this to you? If you never take in the Word of God, then what is nur- where is your nurture coming from? The media? What you read on the internet? You will have no peace in your heart. You will have no stability in your life. Because you're not taking in the nourishment and the food and the nutrients and the power of the Word of God on a daily basis. Go with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 1. So we have talked about anorexia. We've talked about bulimia. See, here's my point, guys. We're dealing with uncertainty. It's hard to bear uncertainty. I want to say this to you. It is impossible to bear uncertainty if you are not eating your manna on a daily basis. And our manna is the Word of God. And there are no shortcuts around the Word of God. Well, I've had this experience. So you had this experience. You can't live well. I don't care what the experience is. We live off the Word of God. There is no experience that makes the man God adequate, equipped for every good work. There is not an experience in the Bible that says that makes a man of God adequate, equipped for every good work. But it does say this, all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So you can't get to where you need to be without this book. Doesn't mean along the way we don't have experiences. But it's all governed by this book. The spirit and the word always work hand in hand. So Psalm 1. Am I boring you guys? Okay. You wouldn't tell me if I was. You'd just get up and leave. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. These are unbelievers. But can I say this to you? When you've got a Christian man who consistently is not feeding on the manna of the Word of God, doesn't have a time in his life on a regular basis when he is feeding on the Word of God, it is not an idle word, it is your life. When you are not taking in the Word of God on a daily basis, you are being influenced by somebody, and who you are being influenced is by the guys in Psalm 1. You're being influenced by those, by the counsel of the wicked. You're being influenced because you're in the path of sinners and because you're in the seat of scoffers, simply because you've got nothing to counteract that. If you're just in the world, you've got to have something to counteract the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Watch this. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And man, that's a heavy pole. That's a heavy tide. You see, but the man of God is not to go, be, go with the tide, and we're not, to go, we're not to go downstream, we're to go upstream. 
Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, because most people are on it. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Watch this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Okay, let me say something about meditation. Meditation is taking the truth of the word of God and chewing on it. That's all it is. It's, uh, it's just chewing your food and then swallowing it. Um, meditation is to the soul what digestion is to the body. You got that? So you say, well, Steve, listen, I got a job, man. I can't just sit around all day and think about the Bible. No, you can't. But what you do is you put the Word of God in your heart. Um, see, when you put the Word of God in your heart and in your mind, and when you're in the Word, certain verses jump out at you. And it's, you, you can memorize a verse. Just write it on a Post-it note. Put it on three Post-it notes. Put one on your mirror where you shave. Put one on your dash in your car. Put one on your desk. Just for a week. I don't care what the verse is. And after a week, you know what? You're going to know that verse. You're going to know that verse. And that verse is going to be in your heart. And oftentimes what the Spirit of God will do is, you see, in the middle of the situation or something's going on, that verse will come to your mind and you just kind of chew on it a little bit. Remember Walt Garrison used to say, you just put a pinch between your cheek and gum? When they first started advertising smokeless tobacco, you say, you just take a pinch between your cheek and gum for fine tobacco pleasure and cancer of the mouth. <laughs> he didn't say that. And what do you do? You just put a clue right there, and you're going through life, and you just come, it's just kind of there. You know? You kind of do that with the Word of God. You're doing your work, you're going about your business, but you just got a little... Right back there. You see? And then you run into temptation. What do you do? You just... <laughs> Try it. Thy word I have hid in my heart. In the Hebrew, it's thy word I have hid in my cheek. No, I just made that up. <laughs> Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Open my eyes that I may have, uh, behold wonderful things from thy law. Okay, watch this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. You go about your work, you go about your business. But the word of God is back there. And at the right time, the spirit of God brings the word to your mind. And when you have some fear, you think... Uh, do not fear, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will comfort you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, where's that? That's Isaiah 41. Oh, that's a great verse. Put it on a post-it note, man. This time next week, you'll have that in your heart. Next time you get fear and you get anxious and you wake up in the middle of the night, just go Isaiah 41. It's just a pinch right between your cheek and gum. Okay, am I making any sense? Watch this. In his law, he meditates day and night. Watch this. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In other words, how do I bear uncertainty? 
which I deal with so often, by putting the word of God in my mind and in my heart, pondering it instead of what I'm told by the world system, I ponder the nuggets of the word of God as I go through life, as I learn this. It's a process. I learn to fight off fear by taking the truths of the word of God. And what happens is I become like a mature tree who's taproot. You've seen the pictures of the trees and the canopy and the wonderful picture of a tree. But then there's a mirror image beneath the ground of that canopy. That's the root system. And there's a taproot that goes down deep, 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 deep. but you got to take advantage of the daily manna. I, I've said in here before that I, uh, gosh, I learned a ton from my dad. And he wasn't perfect, but he was a great role model. And uh, one of the things I learned from my dad just by watching him, my dad would have his inner alarm clock go off about 5.45, and uh, he'd get up, he'd get his coffee, and he'd get his Bible, He'd get his coffee, and he'd go sit down at the kitchen table or be on the sofa, and he'd spend the first hour reading the scriptures and praying. I remember as a little boy waking up early on a couple of occasions. I was five or six, and I'd walk in, and my dad would be in the living room. And there'd be a light on, and he'd be kneeling in his chair, and he'd have his Bible in front of him. I'm thankful for that heritage. I really am. Say, so how long was your dad a pastor? My dad wasn't a pastor. My dad was a real estate broker. If you worked on commission, you'd get up at five and pray too, man. <laughs> because when you're in real estate, that's what you call bearing uncertainty. Because <laughs> you never know when that piece of land's going to sell or that spec house is going to sell. Or you don't know when the interest rates are going down or up or the Federal Reserve. You don't know. It's walking by faith and not by sight. And a lot of you guys are in businesses like that. But see, he learned that from his dad. That's what his dad did. But my grandfather was the one who started that in our family because his father didn't do that. I remember when I was... Uh, I, I remember about my senior year of high school... My, my dad had done some real estate projects that had done well, and this thing started going south. And uh, he really got crunched and had built some apartments. And uh, anyway, things turned, and uh, he actually uh, had to declare bankruptcy. And we had a nice home, and he drove, drove a Cadillac, and we were doing pretty well. And, he, and everything was... It was gone. And I remember one night, I, I, I didn't understand why God was allowing this to happen to my dad. And I was very frustrated. I was probably, I might have been 18 or 19. And I was just very frustrated. And I was, and I was, it was, I was in my bedroom, it was night, and I, was, I saw my dad, and he, I mean, he was, I, I just knew he was under pressure. He wasn't, he, I think he handled it really well. But I didn't understand why God wasn't giving favor to my dad. It was, uh, later, I did, later, it was a season of great growth in my dad's life, and he told me that. 
great growth because we tend to learn through the times in the wilderness where we are bearing uncertainty. And God got him through, and then God later blessed him. But I didn't understand. And what scared me, if God's doing that to my dad, who's about the best man I know, what, God, what is God going to do to me? I'm telling you, I had a fear about this. And one night, I was in my bedroom, and I was asking God, why don't you bless my dad? And I took my Bible, which I didn't open up a whole lot. And I said, Lord, I'd like you to tell me why you're not helping my dad out, because I don't get this. And I said, I'm just going to open this Bible, and I'm going to ask you to give me something to tell me why. And I opened it up, and it fell to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Now, you know, that's probably not the best way to go about your Bible study. (laughs) But when you're a young kid, and God looks on our hearts, you see, he knew my heart. He's a good father. So what did he do for me? He gave me a scripture. No, actually, I had an angel appear to me in the room. I forgot, I forgot to tell you that. No, he gave me a verse. And you know what, you know what that verse was? Hey, Steve, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understandings, but acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your path. And I was so startled by that that it quieted my heart. And I just said, Lord, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust in you. I look back now how many years later? How many years later? And my dad is with the Lord. My dad would tell you that was one of the most rich times in his entire life and in the life of our family. Families pull together in adversity. God did a great work during that time. I couldn't see it. But I will tell you this, God was gracious to give me a word that calmed my heart. Can I tell you what that verse was for me that night as an 18-year-old kid? It was a well-timed help. It was manna from the bread of life. And God was growing me in my faith. And I decided after reading that scripture, I was going to try and get more time in the word, and I was going to try to, and I said, I'm going to pray before I go to bed every night. I fell into bed. I was exhausted. And I, 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 anyway. And I thought, wait a minute. I said I was going to pray every night. So I rolled out of bed, got on my knees. I didn't even know what to pray. I was so exhausted. But I said I would do it. And, and I said, you know, Lord, I got to get up and go to class tomorrow. And there are 10,000 kids up there at that college. There's got to be someone who needs to know you. Maybe you could uh, let me have a chance to talk to that guy. I don't even know where it came from. I got in bed and went to sleep, got up. I'm running away, getting my little VW, trying to get up the hill. Actually got there about 15 minutes later, go by the cafeteria, grab something to drink, and I'm sitting down. A guy comes walking up to me. I was in the radio and TV department because it was an easy major. It's true. And this guy walks in, and he's in one of my classes. And I, I talked to him a couple of times. He had an incredible voice. Later became a nationally known sports broadcaster. 
And he walked in, and I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, hey, how are you? And I said, yeah, I'm all right. And he said, you just hanging out? And I go, yeah, waiting for class. He goes, yeah, me too. He said, you mind if I join you? I said, no. He said, you got some coffee. He said, down. I said, so, um, so how you doing? I mean, just making a conversation. He goes, well, he said, I'm not doing real well. And I said, really? I said, why is that? He said, I'm looking for truth, and I can't find it. That really happened. I said, I said, really? He goes, yeah, I can't find truth. He said, what do you think is true? I said, I think Jesus is true. He said, really? I said, yeah, I do, I really do. He goes, why is that? And I said, well, and I just finished a little book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity, M-E-R-E. -E. I said, you know, it's one of the most brilliant books I've ever read, and it was written by a guy who was an atheist, and he came to Christ. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, I'll bring you a copy. He said, would you do that? And I did. I was 18 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. But God was so good that I knew enough that Jesus was the bread of life. And when I ran into, I didn't know a lot. And I didn't have a lot of discipline in my life. But I was in process. But can I say this to you? God was so gracious to show me himself. In a matter of a couple weeks, in that very hard time of life, when we were all trying to bear uncertainty, that he is the bread of life and that he's real. And even in the great pressure, someone came along, I'm looking for truth. Dad gum, I just asked God to lead me to someone who's looking for truth, and here he went and did it. That's the living God. This is the joy of following Christ. This is how you bear uncertainty. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You lean not to your own understanding, but you acknowledge him in all thy ways. He will direct your path because the word of God, which is manna, says it. And I need to be reminded every morning. So I opened the book as my dad did. I would encourage you to do the same. It's how we bear uncertainty. Father, thank you that you take us right where we are and you grow us and you mature us and you take us through the hard things of life. And then you show us yourself through your word and through providential encounters that bring glory to your name that we cannot deny. Continue to do your work in our lives as we trust you in the midst of uncertainty. Make a way where there is no way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.